Hello there, and thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Um, sexual harassment. That's my topic today, and taking a look at where we stand on this issue and what the pattern is at this point in time. Sexual harassment. You know, we have had a number of very high-profile individuals accused of sexual harassment and sexual assault recently, and it's growing. There's kind of a community or cultural or societal demand out there indicating that this needs to be addressed and stopped or taken care of in some kind of way. And somehow, people really believe that companies can and should and must stop it and do something about it to bring it to a halt. However, behind closed doors of corporate offices, it continues to go on. The institutional uh, marketplace of businesses have really done very little in the area of sexual harassment education and sexual harassment prevention in the workplace. A very, very small number of companies have really addressed this issue. Something less than 20% of the companies have kind of looked at ways to address it, set up seminars and addressed it, have papers, have brochures, have other ways to address this issue. But it is largely being overlooked in the marketplace today. What goes on are these high-profile sexual harassment cases that get a lot of attention across the country. And people think that it's much more uh, active and much more likely to occur than it really is. But still, it's a major problem for us in America. You know, despite the fact that it goes on, there has been a reduction in the number of sexual harassment cases since 1998. Something about a 30% reduction. So... Even though it's a very high likelihood of occurrence, and when it does occur, it's very devastating and very disruptive and hurtful and harmful, there still is a trend downward in sexual harassment taking place in the workplace. And that part is good, because some companies are addressing it. Some companies are trying to do something about it, even though it's only 20% about the companies that are doing that. Now, in the year 2015, just take that one year, the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, we call that the EOC, this is where you file a complaint if you think you've been sexually harassed, they received approximately 28,000 charges alleging sexual harassment or discrimination from employees working in private companies and in local public, state, and local government offices. 28,000, just in the year 2015. Now, of that number, about 34% had to do with gender issues, male versus female. About um, 20% had to do with disability. Um... Harassment of somebody who's disabled in some kind of way. They have a speech impediment. They have a uh, physical impairment of some kind. A mental impairment of some kind. About 20% of the harassment related to 
physical and social and mental disability. And about 14% of the individuals experience harassment ever file at all. 14% only file. So look at the numbers that really are experiencing harassment. 28 is just the number that filed. 28,000, just the number that filed. So if only 14% of the population actually filed, that's a huge problem in America. It's a huge problem in the American offices and companies and businesses, small and large. Now, it's likely that sexual harassment, if you are going to experience it, experiences it in the office, in the workplace. 90% of the harassment is um, experienced within the context of the workplace. So it generally is a work-related issue, at least as far as the issues are concerned that we know about and the people who actually report them. Now, what we really do find here is that there is a uh, significant increase and a significant development that has occurred over the years of uh, more and more uh, companies trying to address it. So what do they do? Well, here's what companies generally do. They set up a workshop. They call in some kind of an expert, usually an attorney, might be a psychologist, might be a social worker, but they call in some kind of a um, consultant, an expert who has studied and dealt with issues of sexual harassment in a wide variety of settings, and they come in and they do a day workshop. Or they may do a half a day workshop for the whole staff, the whole office. Or they might set up it over the course of several weeks so that small groups can come at one at a time and or small groups at a time and receive the training and then go back to work and go through the entire work staff in that manner. So companies are, in a sense, doing that. But just, it's only about 17 to 20% of the companies that are doing it, by the way. But that's how they do it. Now, what we have found is in studying this kind of thing, is that many companies do it just for the mere sake of window dressing. They want to be able to say that if a sexual harassment suit came for the company, that they have provided the training, and they feel that they protected themselves, and they feel that they have some defense in a legal suit if a sexual harassment complaint occurs within that particular company in that office. Now, that's not a very honest way of doing sexual harassment training. It's very selfish. It's very uh, oriented towards one's own protection. And it is not based upon a caring attitude for the employee or employees. You see, sexual harassment training should be for the good of the employees and also good, you know, for the company. But when you do it just as window dressing, when you do it just for the sake of getting something done and you don't really care how it's done, you don't care how good it is, you don't care how much how effective it is, then you're just doing it for the sake of doing it and for your own protection. But the companies that do some kind of testing beforehand, they do a survey, they do a very um, industry, or very discreet survey where people don't have to sign their name, they don't have to identify themselves, but they just fill out a series of questions related to interactions within the workplace, whether they be sexualized or discriminatory in some kind of way, in some kind of harassment 
type of situation. So maybe 10, 20, 30 situations are described and you want to find out if these kind of things have been occurring in your workplace. Then you do your sexual harassment training. You go through a week or a month or of training of all the people in the office. They may get a day of it. They may get half a day of it. And then the survey is then readministered, maybe a month later, maybe six months later, to see if there's a change in the amount of sexual harassing behavior, discriminatory behavior that takes place within the workplace. Now, when a company does something like that, they're more serious. They really want to know. They really want to find out if the training program was effective and how effective it was and what aspects of it were effective and how was the training impacted uh, within the workplace? How was the, how were the work in, how was the work environment, how were the work relationships impacted as a result of the training program? That's what they're trying to find out. So that they can say, well, we only did the training, but it was an effective training, or that it was moderately effective, or it, it was effective with the men, but it was not effective with the females, or it was effective with females, but not, and so on, and so on, and so on. So they want to try to trace and see if, in fact, there is some benefit from the training itself. So training is an extremely important thing, and of course what is done in training programs is not only to identify sexual harassment when it does occur, but how to prevent it, how to circumvent it, how to change it, how to stop it, you know, how to deal with it. That, that's what that training program is all about. Now, in these kind of training programs, let me just kind of give you a little taste of it, okay? Just a little bit. A topic might be that um, the employees need to consider how they dress. Now, this is often a problem or much more of a problem for women than it is for men. But the degree to which the dress is provocative is under consideration. So in other words, the trainer describes provocative dress by women, provocative dress by men, and the effects of provocative dress, how it affects each other, how it entices each other, the message that is sent out, and the message that is conveyed throughout the workplace when somebody comes to work provocatively dressed. Now we know that men sexually become aroused and become more uh, sexually interested in a woman by the fact that he just looks at her. The visual effect is very powerful for men. Men respond to visual cues of sexuality. Women, on the other hand, respond to touch. Touching a woman has a very pronounced, a very profound and pronounced effect on her. So you have to understand that provocative dress is important because men are attracted to women who dress provocatively, and it arouses within them sexual interest. And women start responding sexually and sexually uh, with sexual interest upon being touched. So those are just some of the cues that one has to be aware of, and the training program has to deal with that and make sure that employees understand that element of enticing and provoking sexual 
responses, sexual interest on the part of one employee to another. Now, let me give you another example in the training program that's done. Double messages, okay? Think of it this way. If a person does not respond in very assertive and firm and clear ways, it's easy for the other person, the person who hears it, to interpret it as they wish. So if one makes a comment and then the response is a joke in, re in reply to that, or some kind of an offhand comment, that may suggest that that person is in fact interested in a sexual advancement. In other words, it wasn't stopped. It wasn't dealt with in a very firm and positive and straightforward manner. You can have double messages. You can't say yes and mean no. You can't say no and mean yes. In the workplace, a yay needs to be yay and a nay needs to be nay. And there is no place for sexual jokes, sexual innuendos, sexual stories, sexual gestures, sexual innuendos. There's no place for those. And when they occur, the person who responds or who listens, who receives that message, needs to very clearly stop it and end it right there. But to play around with it and to have jokes and to go on and, and in, in return give other innuendos and give other stories and give other answers that would be almost a leading way of bringing two people together into a sexual contact because it wasn't stopped. It wasn't dealt with in a clear kind of way. So double messages are very deadly. Double messages lead to sexual harassment, lead to sexual discrimination, lead to this kind of miscuing within the workplace. So double messages cannot be. You have to be very firm and very definite. And if somebody makes a remark that is offensive, somebody makes a sexualized remark that is, uh, re you want to reject, you just say, that is not appropriate. And do not talk to me like that. That's what you say. Or you say something to the effect that, you know, that is not an appropriate kind of behavior to have here at work. That it does not belong in the workplace. Now stop it. No. If somebody says that, they really mean it. It's a very clear message. Do not become involved in any kind of a mixed message or a muddled up kind of relationship between two employees. So whoever it is, stop it and say it clearly and say it firmly and say it again and say it again if necessary. You see, we create our own environment. We create an environment that's safe. We create an environment that's not safe. We create an environment that's sexualized. We create an environment that is not sexualized, it's purified, if you will, just by how people talk, how people dress, how people encourage certain behaviors and discourage other behaviors and stop other kind of behaviors. You see, how we interact at that level determines whether that workplace will become a toxic environment, will become a sexualized environment, will become an environment in which discrimination takes place, sexual advances take place, and sexual inappropriate behavior takes place.
Now, let me give you a third point. You know, sometimes it's not a matter of whether you are involved in a sexualized interaction with somebody in the workplace. You may be an innocent third party. You may be observing it. You may hear it. You may see it in some kind of way. You may just be aware of it. Now, what are you going to do about it? You're on the line, you say. Do you ignore it and hope that it goes away? Do you ignore it by saying, well, that isn't me, so I don't have to deal with it. I'll just let them handle it. Or I'm not the supervisor. I'm not the employer. So I'm not going to deal with it. That's something the employer has to deal with. Well, let me tell you. If sexualized behavior, if discriminatory behavior is in your workplace, and you see it, you hear it, you become aware of it in some kind of way, and some way it's very subtle, but if you sense it, if you become aware of it in some kind of way, you have a responsibility to intercede and stop it in two steps. First, you talk to the people involved. You may be interested in talking to the woman, you may be interested in talking to the man, but you've got to talk to the people who are involved. You've got to say, look, I've become aware of this, or I've heard this, or overheard this, or I saw this happening, I don't think it's appropriate, I think it needs to stop, that's not the, what we do in our workplace. Something like that just needs to be said. Now, if that doesn't help, if that doesn't work, if it keeps on happening, then you go to a higher source, a manager, a supervisor, a director, an owner, a vice president, or, you know, whomever. You go to a higher level second step. But the first step is you do it yourself. Now, that's a tough one. That's a hard one. If it's impossible for you to do it, if you're a shy person and a person who's not very assertive and you cannot deal with it, you can't say very much about it, you just have a, a fear of saying something, then just go to the higher level. Just go to step number two. It's all right. Go to step number two. Now, there's one other issue that we need to also consider, and that is known as retaliation. It's true. Employers retaliate against whistleblowers. Employers retaliate against people who uh, bring bad will to an office, whether they're the subjects involved or they're the person who speaks up against it. But employers are known to retaliate. One lady, within the matter of three months, had her office removed from where it was and her desk placed out in the hallway under some guise that it had to be there for some particular reason and the space was beginning to be used for something else. Well, it was retaliatory. And we, that's not acceptable and that cannot be. Employers cannot retaliate. There's laws against that. And you're protected against that. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about that retaliation. If it happens, you then file a complaint with the EEOC that you were a whistleblower or that you called attention to something, and because of that, you feel you've been discriminated against and retaliated against. So, but it happens, and be aware of it. That's just one of the consequences of being a whistleblower or being somebody who speaks up for what is right and speaks up against what is wrong in the workplace and elsewhere. So... Now, if you're an employer, you're a supervisor, you're a manager of some kind, take heart to these kind of issues. You need to be on top of it. You need to be very much aware of the issue of sexual discrimination and sexual harassment in the place in which you work and where you have responsibility as a leader. Deal with it. Train. Educate. Talk about. Watch for it. Monitor it. Deal with it. Head on.
but be a manager that's active. Be a manager that's uh, with eyes open and is aware of what's going on between employees within the workplace. Don't turn your eyes the other way. You know what's going on. Deal with it. That's what the issue has to be. So anyway, that's um, kind of the topic for today under uh, sexual harassment in the workplace. It's there. It happens. And I tell you what, if you're an employee, dress properly. Dress professionally. Dress moderately. Dress modestly. Okay? Don't put yourself in a situation where you're provoking somebody to be interested in your body. Don't dress in such a way that provokes somebody to be interested in a sexualized kind of relationship or fun and games with you. Work is for work. Be professional and be correct in your way that you approach the work situation and the way that you present yourself on a daily basis to work and how you dress and how you behave and how you speak and how you respond and how you act towards everybody, men and women. Anyway, nice to have you with me, and thanks for joining me on the uh, podcast today of Sexual Harassment in the Workplace. Go to my website, booksbyhedberg.com, www.booksbyhedberg.com. Pick up a book there. Father's Day is coming, and I recommend my book, Lessons from My Father. So get that one. It's a great book for men, and I think you'll like it as well. So avail yourself of it. Okay, bye for now.